we're going to pick up, of course, where we left off. Uh, we left off after Paul had a, a meeting in um, Miletus with some Ephesian elders. And, um, and then he, he's met with some other people since then. This is his, kind of his farewell tour. He understands that this is the last time he's going to see many of these people. This is the last time he's going to uh, talk to them in person. This is the last time he's going to see their faces. And, and that's not an easy thing to deal with. I know that sometimes we think of him as just a, a superhero of the faith, and he sure was, but he dealt with real emotions. And these people are dealing with real emotions. They're saying goodbye to a hero of theirs. And uh, that's something that, that is valuable. But in the book of Acts, and we're going to go to verse 21. Verse 21 says, when he had parted from, when we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. So here's what I'm going to do today for your benefit. Um, Anita, I wonder if you could pull up that map there that's, that's in the queue. It's in the, right under the lyrics there. And I, I just know that when we read through the book of Acts, I say probably four or five city names every week. And, and if you're anything like me, if you have no reference point for those places, it just kind of blurs over. But I think it's helpful for you. I know some of you are visual. Some of you are, that's how you remember things. I'd love for you to see. I know you can't make up the wording here. But does anybody kind of recognize this area? Spiro and Tina should. They live like right over here. Um, they, they got a house over there. Of course, they live here, but they've got a house there. But uh, as you can see, uh, way up here is Ephesus, all right? So that's, that's a big church. That's a big deal here. He had had a meeting in Miletus, and this is where he called the elders from Ephesus to come down and meet him in Miletus. Now he has sailed from, from Miletus to Kos. He's going to sail to Rhodes, and then he's going to sail all the way over here. He's going to bypass Cyprus. He's not going over the land. He's going to find himself in Tyre. Now, look how far he's come from here to here. And right down here, this is going to be so much fun for those that are listening on the podcast. Right down here is Jerusalem. Okay? So he, he has told these people I'm going. He's told these people I'm going. But now he finds himself mere miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is... Starting to get closer. He's driven by the Spirit to Jerusalem. If you remember, he told the Ephesian elders when he was in Miletus, he told them, the only thing I know is that the Holy Spirit's telling me to go and that bonds and afflictions await me when I get there. Like we said before, that's not always a fun thing to hear. I really have been looking forward to talking about this chapter because I believe that some of the things we're going to deal with tonight are really important to the body of Christ, especially in these days, especially in this time in history. Um, and this is something we've alluded to before. There's going to be some things I say tonight that you say, yeah, you've said that before. I've heard you say that. You know, you're repeating yourself. But that's okay. Sometimes it's good to hear something more than once. And I think this is an important issue for us because what we're going to hear and what we're going to see are some conflicting voices saying, both saying this is what the Lord's saying. If you've been going to church, in a church that believes that the gifts and the signs have not passed away, which I don't believe they've passed away. I can't find one scripture in the Bible that, that convinces me that they, they will pass away until 
As 1 Corinthians 13 says, the perfect becomes perfect. We will know as we know. We will see as we've been seen. We will not see through a glass dimly. We will see face to face. That seems pretty clear to me that that means when we meet Jesus. Until then, these gifts, these signs, these supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit within the church are going to be a part of our everyday life. If that's the truth, I'm sure if you've been born again for over five years, you've probably had somebody tell you, the Lord told me to tell you this, and you might have had it that it was right, and, but if you've been saved that long, and that's not that long at all, I'm sure you've had somebody tell you, God told me to tell you this, and it wasn't God. Or it might have started out as God, and it went through so many filters to get to you that it no longer resembles anything God might have said. I was 28 years old before I got married. I was 26 when I met my future wife. And uh, I got to tell you, if I believed everyone who said, God told me to tell you this, I'd be standing here today with about 10 wives. (laughs) So somebody's wrong. (laughs) It can't all be right. This, the math doesn't add up. Or else we're just going back to a whole different time in history. I tell you, I can't handle that. I, I, God bless me with the perfect wife. I am, I am satisfied. And so there, I, you got to realize, and, and, and some people turn themselves off because, because somebody said something to them. It didn't pan out or they, it wasn't right. And some people turn that side off altogether and they say, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. That's why the scripture had to tell us, don't despise prophecy. It didn't say don't despise prophecy because people thought, "Ah, you know, I'm doing pretty good on my own. I believe he had to say that because there was enough counterfeit, there was enough fluff, there was enough misleading information that people thought it'd be easier just to do without it. You ever felt that way? Ever felt that way? Wouldn't it just be easier if we didn't have to deal with this stuff? I'll tell you, it may be easier, but it's not the plan of God. So we're going to talk tonight very practically and very, not just practically, but from the word of God, we're going to see how there might be two different voices, but it's still the Holy Spirit saying the same thing. We're going to, hopefully you'll you'll walk out of here, not just a little bit more educated in the area, but hopefully you'll be encouraged and hopefully you'll be more equipped to embrace the word of the Lord, to embrace a prophetic word, to embrace words of knowledge, to embrace your brothers and sisters in Christ without having to be freaked out every time somebody says God said and God didn't say. So here's what it says in Acts 21. Let's, let's, uh, we found ourselves at, in verse 2. Having found a ship, he crossed over to Phoenicia, and we went aboard and set sail. When we came in sight of Cyprus, so you saw Cyprus was that big island there that they bypassed. When they came in sight of Cyprus, we, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and we landed at Tyre. So Syria is what is north of Israel or in Paul's time, the Roman province of Judea. So you got Syria. Tyre is still technically at that point in history, part of Syria. So he's, he's, he's going to stop at Tyre for a while. He's got about a week because he, remember, he is determined he's going to get to Jerusalem by the feast. That's his goal. So if he spends about a week in Tyre, he can still make it. He can still make all his deadlines. He can still have plenty of time. So he's going to spend a, a week with the disciples here, 
at least we believe it's about a week. It says, well, it says seven days in verse four, so that's, that's more than just belief. In verse four, it says, after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. So they've, he's come, he's looked up the disciples. I don't know what that looks like. That's surely not a Google search or a, even a Yellow Pages or phone book search. He looked them up. Somehow he looked them up. He found the disciples, and through the Spirit, they're telling him not to go to Jerusalem. If you'll remember, a few, just, just a little bit before, it says Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The Lord told him to go to Jerusalem, as best we can tell. And now these people, through the Spirit, are telling him not to go to Jerusalem. Now here's the question. Do we serve a schizophrenic God? No, no we don't. We don't serve more than one God. We don't serve a God who's confused. We don't serve a God who's double-minded. We serve a God who is not finding things out as he goes, right? You know that, right? Like God is in the future right now. God is not limited to time. This will hurt your brain, but God is just as much here as he is in the future and as he is in the past. He's, he exists in all dimensions. He's, he's just, you know, so he's not, he's not walking through history going, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. He's already seen it. He already, he's there. He knows. He's not, you know, we're, we're discovering things as we go along. We're, we don't know how many days we got left. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but the Lord does. And it, the Bible says that one of the, Jesus said one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is that he would reveal to you things to come. So what's going on here? Is God confused? Is somebody lying? I'll tell you that the scripture doesn't, doesn't give us any reason to believe that anybody here is lying or anybody here is a false prophet. It just tells us that they disagree. How can all that be true? My Bible in the column here, it says, because there's many ways you can translate um, that phrase that they were saying through the Spirit. My Bible in the column says, because of impressions given by the Spirit. I want you to remember that as we keep reading, because we're going to go back to that, all right? So here, they're telling him, don't go. This, you know, the Spirit's telling us, you shouldn't go. And he says, it says in verse 5, when our days there were ended, we left. <laughs> so obviously, he ignored what they were saying. Or he, just, or he might have acknowledged it, he might have received it, but he just kept pressing on. It didn't keep him at tire. Says, we left, we started our journey while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and we came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip. So Philip has stayed in Samaria. Remember in Acts chapter 8, like. I don't know if that was like almost a year ago when we talked about it, but remember in Acts chapter 8, the great works of God that, that took place in Samaria. He has stayed in Caesarea. He stayed in the area, and now he's got seven daughters who are all prophetesses. The guy's got his hands full. And it says, we were staying there for, it says in verse 9, this man had four virgins, did I say seven? Forgive me. I have numbers running through my head. He had four virgin daughters. Please don't throw me out as a heretic. He had four virgin daughters. (laughs) 
I, I was still reading the verse before which said he was one of the seven. He's one of the seven, but he has four daughters. I hope you're keeping up with the math here. Four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Does anybody remember Agabus? How could you forget such a name? And as many years as I've been preaching, I've been trying to convince someone to name their child Agabus. And Agabus, nobody has taken me up on the offer, although I hear Brian and Kelly are considering it. So, you know, <laughs> mess around and push that ball down the field if you could. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands. He said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we, as well as the local residents, now you notice, this is Luke talking. He's got other co-laborers with Paul. These are the people that stuck with him. These are the people that know him the best. When the people at Tyre told him not to go to Jerusalem, Luke is silent. But by this point, he joins in with the locals and says, please don't go. I want you to see that Agabus was one of the trusted prophets. We don't hear about every prophet that walked around during this time. We know that Agabus was a guy that could be trusted. Watch how he says it. Because often this is, the, this is the difference between somebody speaking the word of the Lord and somebody speaking the word of the Lord that is so diluted by their own opinion you can't recognize it anymore. Agabus simply says what the Lord told him to say and he stops. Doesn't try to explain it. Doesn't try to soften the blow. Doesn't try to make it any more relevant. Because you know, half the time you say something that you believe the Lord's telling you to say, you don't know what, you, it doesn't make sense. You know, it, you say, I don't know, that's, I feel like I'm supposed to share this scripture with you. I don't know why. Yeah. Agabus says this and instead of trying to use his brain to figure out, he just stops. But watch what happens. When we heard this, so there was a prophetic word and then there was the hearing the prophetic word. Two vital steps. When we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, it's important that we see what God said and what God didn't say. What God said is your hands are going to be bound. Your feet are going to be bound. This is what's going to happen to you. What God did not say through Agabus was don't go. What has God already said to Paul? Bonds and afflictions wait for you when you get there. So what Agabus is saying now, and what God has already told Paul, match up perfectly. So where's the disconnect? The disconnect's not in what God said. The disconnect is what they heard. Do you know that our emotions get in the way, and we have to recognize our emotions are the filter that often the word of the Lord, whether, you, whether it's something, a sermon you heard on Sunday or Wednesday night, whether it's something you read in your Bible, whether it's a, a prophetic word from the Lord, our emotions can be a dangerous thing. Yeah. Because here their love for Paul and their desire not to see him hurt. That love for Paul is a good thing. But now the word of the Lord is going through the filter of their affection. So what's happening is it goes through that filter. It's God saying, People are going to bind you. What they're hearing is, we don't want you to be bound, so God must be saying, don't go. This happens all the time. Happens all the time. There's a difference between what God said and how we interpreted what God said. Often, even the person saying it puts it through their own filter. 
One of the things that shocked me as a young man uh, was, was I was talking to a, a, an older pastor that I respected greatly, and I was discussing something. I said, you know, there was a guy that spoke a word to me, and I knew it was from God because there were certain words he used that no one else could have known I said to God. There were certain things. I said, I know it was from God. I said, but this is all he said, and some of it still doesn't make sense to me. And this older pastor said, at, he said, Jonathan, at what point do you think he went from speaking by the Spirit to speaking from his own understanding. And I said, wait, that happens? I thought it was, either, it was either off or it was on. It was either good or it was bad. It was right or it was wrong. He said, no. It's the way it should be. But so often we hear something from the Lord and maybe it's, maybe it's you. You feel you're supposed to tell somebody something. You tell them. But then you see the look on their face. And it's not a good look or it's a confused look. And okay, I think this is what it means, or you'll, you'll just keep adding, and, and you don't remember to say, this is my opinion, or this is what I think. You're saying it just like it's the same word of the Lord that you just said before, and all of a sudden, you've added all your opinion and your understanding to it. I want to remind you about something. When Jesus was talking about the big judgment, you know, the fact that he was going to be the judge, that God had given him to that, that there would be a day when he would judge the nations even. But he said this, and I believe it's not just talking about the great judgment, but it's also talking about how he judged the word of the Lord every day. In John chapter 5, he says, whatever I hear, I hear from the Father, and whatever I hear, I judge. Now listen to that. He hears something, and then he makes a judgment on it. And he says, and you know that my judgment is true because I don't seek my own will, but I seek the will of the one who sent me. What is Jesus saying there? Well, I believe he's saying the reason I can be trusted to judge what God has said and to act on it is because I've taken my opinion out of the matter. There's no opinion left. My will is not entering into it at all. Only the truly unbiased can really be a pure vessel that God can use to, to bring his word forth. You got to get rid of your opinion. You got to get rid of your biases. You got to realize that you're human and you have emotions and you have biases and you have filters. And you got to do your best to remove those things and just say, what did God actually say? Sometimes it's a matter of what somebody else says to you. Here, their love for Paul affected how they heard the word of the Lord. But I've seen it the other way. I've seen people that didn't like somebody. And so what God said to them, to say to this person, went through the filter of, I don't like you. And while it was supposed to be, as the, as the New Testament defines it, every prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, every prophecy is supposed to be for the consolation, the upbuilding, the edification, the encouragement. Instead, it's tearing people down. Why? Because it went through the filter of, I don't really like you, or I'm in a bad mood, or I don't know what. And instead of coming out like God said, it came out kind of twisted. So you say, well, why doesn't God just stop using all those people? Here's the problem. He'd have to stop using people. <laughs> and some people are more reliable than others. Some people are more tested and proven than others. Uh, you know... I think in most of the things that God does through us, we don't start from nothing to everything. We start learning. Does anybody ever, does that ring true with anyone here? 
the, the first time you stepped out into something that got a gift that God had placed on the inside of you, you didn't do it perfect the first time you tried? Anybody perfect the first time you tried? Yeah, yeah, no? <laughs> For a second, you had me. Tony, when you first picked up the guitar, were you just doing a screaming solo the first time you picked it up? No. I mean, God could do that, couldn't he? But, you know, he trains us. And this is why we have each other, isn't it? You know, it's why in 1 Corinthians 14, it says when someone prophesies, when there's a, a word of prophecy, it says that there's, said there's other people that should judge that. You say, well, was that right? Was that right? And if it, if it rings true, if it's confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses, there it is. It stands. So there's that safety in the body of Christ. So here, here's what we know God said. We could be pretty sure God said this. Go to Jerusalem. Right? Because we trust that Paul heard from God. You seem pretty convinced of it. And later, God's going to say to him, as you've witnessed faithfully in Jerusalem, so you'll witness for me in Rome. So God seems to back up that he was supposed to go there. So we're pretty sure that God said, go to Jerusalem. And we seem abundantly sure that God said, it's going to be tough when you get there. Now, why would God tell him that? Don't you think if God wanted him to go, he'd kind of shine it up a little bit? You know what that leads to? Leads to instant discouragement. You get there and you think it's going to be all lollipops and rainbows and it's hard and people quit because they were expecting it to be easy. So God is preparing him and encouraging him and saying, it's going to be rough, but I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will complete your mission. You're not going to die in Jerusalem. I'm going to keep you alive because I got more for you to do. I'll be with you the whole time. And when this happens, don't lose heart. That's why sometimes we'll get up here and I don't like to talk about the fact that, you know what, it, it, sometimes storms come and sometimes things get rough. That's not my favorite thing to talk about, but you need to hear it. Because when those storms come, you need to know that that's not evidence that you failed. And that's not evidence that God failed. But you need to know in that storm, is my foundation secure? Is my God still God? Yes, he is. So I won't quit. I won't lose heart. I will endure. I will fix my eyes on Jesus and I'll finish my race. That's what God's saying to Paul. And so as he does, you can imagine that the folks that accompanied him to the ship earlier, you can imagine that um, those people that were saying, don't go, don't go, don't go, that God had somehow by the Spirit told them that they were sensing in the Spirit, it's going to be hard for him when he goes. And they might have even heard, you're not going to see him again, right? Because that seems to be something he's even telling people, you're not going to see me again. So to them, they love him. They say, don't go. We don't want, we don't want this to be the last time we see you. They were hearing. They were, they, were, they were being led by the Spirit, but they totally missed the point. Just because you hear something from God doesn't mean you're done. You still got to find out, God, what do you mean by that? What am I supposed to do with that? The last time we saw Brother Agabus, remember the last time we saw him? He said there'll be a famine over the whole known world. That includes you. This is in Antioch when he says it. He says there'll be a famine. All, everybody's going to experience famine. Their response to that is let's take up an offering. 
So they had to hear the word of the Lord, but they also had to hear from God, what do I do with the word of the Lord? Because Agabus didn't say what they're supposed to do about it. Now, you might have friends that say, well, just check the word. And what does the word say? And I agree, the word is our first and final source. But like I've said so many times before, the word of God, the Bible itself, doesn't tell you whether you're supposed to have a job in the oil field or not. Does it? It doesn't tell you whether you're supposed to live in Lloydminster till you die. Those are some things you're going to have to be led by the Spirit. You're going to have to let God show you that. And he'll use his word, and it will always be backed by the word. And it, will never conf- it will never go against the word of God. It will always be confirmed by the word of God. And that word of God is your compass, your, your gold standard. It can't con- contradict that. But I'll tell you, if they had just gone to the Old Testament and said, well, there's going to be a famine. What did God tell people to do in the famine? They would have easily gone back, saw that Joseph stored up for famine. He kept a, a stockpile, and they would have said, well, let's keep a stockpile. That's what the Bible says to do. But that's not what they were supposed to do. They sought the Lord. They heard a word from the Lord. Then they said, God, what do I do with that? That's the critical step that most people miss. You hear from God, and then you, you just... He tells you something and you just run off and try to finish it. You run off and and try to make it happen. You run off and like I've said so many times before, he started painting you a picture and you thought you recognized it so you grabbed the brush and you finished it. And you're mad when it didn't turn out like you painted it. And he says, that's not the picture I was painting. You ever gotten ahead of yourself? Ever thought you knew where it was going? He's out there. I uh, I'm not one of these tricky preachers that that asks you a question and 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 no matter what you answer, you're wrong. I got a secret answer. I'm not one of those. But you know, there'll be times where I start quoting a scripture, and some of you are eager, and I like eager, and I would I would take eager over passive any day, right? But some of you are so eager, you're, you're finishing. Oh, I know where he's going, and then oh, you get the wrong scripture. <laughs> And I'm forced to either like say, yeah, that's a good one too, or just plow ahead with my blinders on. And that's okay. There's no, there's no harm, no foul. We're all friends here. We all love each other. Nothing wrong with that. But it's a good example of what we do to God a lot. I know where you're going with this. There was a, there's a pastor, many of you, he's ministered here. Many of you know him. And, and the Lord has gifted him uniquely that when he prophesies, it rhymes. That doesn't mean every prophecy is supposed to rhyme, right? But for some reason, whenever he does, it rhymes. And it's it's so quick that you go, he's not just doing that on the fly. I don't think anybody could really do that. Somebody could, but he's not. And so it was just always rhyme. Well, I remember standing back there one time, and he's prophesying. And and somebody's gotten so into it, they figured, if it rhymes, I can figure what he's going to say next. And they were trying to finish every sentence he started. And like three-quarters of the time, they were getting it wrong. It was getting really annoying standing next to that person. They're not here. You don't even know who they are. (laughs) But because they thought they knew, oh, I know the rhyme to this one, they'd finish it, and they got it wrong. And this is what we do to God all the time. He starts out, he says, I got a beautiful plan for you. Here's what I want to tell you today. And maybe you're supposed to meditate on that. Maybe you're supposed to pray about it. Maybe you're supposed to hold on to it. But we get excited. I know where you're going with that. And we try to finish it. And we get mad at God. God, you said, and he said, I said, what now? Well, you said, yeah, I remember saying that. What else did I say? Well, I'm sure you said, no, no, that's what you said. 
Because you thought you could finish my little rhyme here. You thought you could finish what I started. You thought you finished the painting and it looked pretty because you saw a painting like that before, but that's not what I was painting. So even our emotions sometimes, we, gotta, we recognize that you have biases. Recognize that you are human and sometimes you want God to say something. How many times have you gone to the Lord and sought his will and you really want him to say one thing? Right? You got to lay that at the door. Because if you don't, no matter what he says, you'll interpret it to mean what you want it to mean. One of the most difficult things is to pray like Jesus prayed in the garden and say, here's what I want, but not my will, but yours be done. Lay your will right at the door and walk in and say, God, I'm open. Recognize That might still be creeping around in the back of your mind. But if you will be like Jesus and say, I don't seek my will. I seek the will of the one who sent me. Your judgment will be true. So here we saw Paul and two other groups of people. And they're all disagreeing. And they've all heard from God. That's the thing. It would be so clean cut if the Bible said, but they were wrong. False prophecy. It was wrong. Paul was right, they were wrong. Or they were right and Paul was wrong. But the Bible seems to indicate that they were all right. Don't you hate when it's just not that simple? Like when you say to God, is it this, this, or this? And he just goes, yes. God. God, I don't know if I'm a Calvinist or an Arminianist. I don't know what I am. All right. God, I don't know if I'm pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. What am I, Lord? He says, you're a little bit of all of them, I think. You say, I didn't want to hear that at all. I want it clean cut. I want clean boundaries. But here, they were all right, and they were all, probably a few of them were a little bit wrong. Here's what happens. They beg him. Even his own friends beg him. His companions beg him, stay, don't go. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, will the will of the Lord be done? Now, I don't believe that was just an off-the-cuff phrase. I believe they meant it. Here's something we need to learn about this. When they said that, sometimes you were going to disagree with someone else, and you both might even be hearing from God, but you disagree about what it means. All things equal when there's a complete tie and nobody's budging and nobody's moving. Sometimes it just comes down to, well, you're, if, if we're talking about your life and you won't be persuaded, eventually I'm going to have to give in and just say, all right, well, you got to do what you're going to do. I can't force you to do anything. But the second thing here is that, that I believe that the Apostle Paul had proven to them that he was a man who could be trusted. I I believe that every believer who has the Holy Spirit can hear from God. I believe that. I I, I believe that maybe not everyone's called to be a prophet, but everyone can hear from God. And I believe everyone has the Holy Spirit. If you have, uh, everyone that has the Holy Spirit can prophesy. That may not be what you do all the time, but I believe if the Holy, it's the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of doing it. Right? There's no limit on Him. 
Let's not put limits on him that he doesn't put on himself. That may not be your number one call. It may not be the thing you're supposed to do with your life, but it doesn't mean that God can't speak or shouldn't, won't speak to you. The Bible says in Romans 8, they that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So I believe we're the children of God. We should be led by the Spirit of God. And, and that looks different in different people. And it's not, a, it's not a life full of, well, God told me to take a bath and God told me to go to the bathroom. You know, I think more than anything, he's going to lead you by his word. He's going to lead you and guide you. And it may not always be, this is what I want you to do, but you're being pulled and you're being tugged. And then there'll be those moments where you do know he said something and you do it. Because he's the good shepherd. And my sheep follow me because they, what? Know my voice. So I believe every believer can hear from the spirit of God. But I also believe this, that there are people who've been tested, proven, and trusted. And that comes by time. That's not a knock on others, but it's just saying the Apostle Paul had proven, had been tested. This guy's not a flake. So at the end of the day, if he's convinced, all right, we're not going to argue too much. There are people in my life, any one of you could come up to me and say, I believe that God's saying this, and I will receive it. If, if I, you know, I, I'll tell you right now, if it if it's, goes along with the word of God and it doesn't, raise red flags in, my, in me when I hear it, I'll, I'll be like, thank you. But if you come up to me and you tell me, and I don't know you, and this is the first time I've ever seen you, and you tell me uh, this is what you're supposed to do, and it's not ringing any bells in my spirit, but this is what you're saying, you're supposed to move to L.A. and start a church, well, quite frankly, I'm going to go and I'll, I might pray about it, but there are a lot of people in my life that I really trust that I think if God wanted me to move to L.A., he'd at some point tell them, and I can trust them because they've been proven. Can God use a stranger? Absolutely, he could. But I also believe that there are voices in your life that have been proven and tested. And sometimes they have a little bit higher value. I don't think you should dismiss anybody. But I believe that some voices have a little bit more consistency. And that, that is to be taken seriously. So Paul had some weight. And the third thing is this. Maybe at the end of the day, they all think they're right. They realize nobody's budging, so they say, let the will of the Lord be done. And I think that is a very gracious, godly way to handle a disagreement. Sometimes, like in the Council of Jerusalem, we got to stay in a room until we figure this out. But sometimes we just got to say, look, I'm, you're not budging, I'm not budging. I know you love the Lord, I know I love the Lord. I know we're both seeking God's will here, so let's both just say this, the will of the Lord be done. And that's not a loss. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to win every debate. You can just sometimes say, God, well, we just disagree. Let the will of the Lord be done. And if you mean it, I believe God honors that. So in this stuff that we've read tonight, I don't want you to be more confused now than when you walked in. But I want you to know, and this is something as mature believers you have to know. There's going to be right voices. There's going to be wrong voices. What you might not be aware of is there's going to be right, right voices that said it in the wrong way. There's going to be right voices that said a little bit too much. There's going to be right voices that you heard wrong. See, it would be nice if they were just false prophets, false prophets and true prophets, but I believe that sometimes even a true prophet can say something wrong. I believe sometimes we hear it and interpret it our own way. So here's your solution. Always, always let the word of God, let this book, be the gold standard, the compass that everything runs by. 
Always, always, always listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And there will be times where the Spirit inside of you is leaping and confirming what you're hearing. And there'll be times where brakes and red lights go up. And you need to know the difference between the Spirit telling you no and you just being so nervous you just say no. Sometimes your own fear is what tell, your own fear is saying that's not from God, couldn't be from God. But maybe it is. If I called you right now, if I just pointed to you right now and said, I want you to get up here and preach for half an hour. Many of you might think, the Holy Spirit's saying no. I'm feeling strong no's. I'm feeling red flags, red lights, brakes on right now. Why? Because my stomach's turning. I don't feel it. I don't know. But you'd have to recognize, you have to step back and go, wait a minute. How much of that is me just being afraid? Probably a lot of it. How much of it is something I've never done before, right? When it's something you've never done before, you are going to have emotional breaks being pumped, just boom, boom, boom. Have you ever sat in the, have you ever had your, your spouse sit in the passenger seat while you're driving and they're slamming that imaginary brake? They're just boom, boom, boom. That's what's going on on the inside of you. Boom, boom, boom. I sometimes, I, I swear, I, could, I, I believe I've seen that on a Sunday morning. Every now and then somebody's foot just kind of put an imaginary brake. I've seen it almost. And I, I imagine that could happen where you're going, no, everything inside me says no. But it might be, it's just something you've never done before. So here's what I would do. If you're still confused, go home, pray in the Holy Spirit. Get your Bible out and just pray about it. And there have been things, guys, that I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. I will keep praying about it. I will, whenever the Lord brings it up, I will pray. I'll pray in the Spirit. I'll, 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 I'll trust God in this. And, and Lord, you confirm it through different voices. And there have been things that, I didn't see the, the other side too until years later. There were things that I saw right away. And I believe that if you're going to be a believer in, in a, a spirit-filled church and, and you're going to experience God doing what God did in the book of Acts and what God did in the Gospels because he's the same God, then you, know how to, you need to know how to be mature about it and not be tossed around by every wind or wave of doctrine. Hebrews says that's what a child does. A child is tossed around by every wind and every wave of doctrine. That means, means every time somebody says something to you, you change course. Or every time there's a new book out, you believe something different. Or every time somebody else preaches, you go here. You need to have some consistency in your life where God can speak through different voices, but you're not just being tossed everywhere. You, are, you, you know the voice of the shepherd. And you know what? You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's able to confirm his own word. He'll confirm it in your spirit. He'll confirm it with different witnesses as well. And if you say, well, you know what? I'm a little bit like Gideon. I I hope he would just make a a piece of fur, wet one night and dry the next. He might do that, but I wouldn't rely on it. Gideon didn't have what you had. Didn't have the Holy Spirit. Do you know, we talked about this, but the, the last time, do you know casting lots was a biblical thing that God told them to do? Mm-hmm. Told them to cast lots, kind of like rolling dice, but a little bit different. Told them to cast lots to find out the will of the Lord. Seems crazy, doesn't it? Seems crazy that God would say that. But in the old covenant, he told them, to, if you want to discern the will of God, you cast these lots. The last time it's ever done was right before the day of Pentecost. They cast lots to find out which, which disciple would fill Judas' place. 
And after that, the Holy Spirit comes and they never cast lots again. Because you have the Spirit of God. And He's able to confirm. He's able to tell you no. He's able to tell you go. He's able to say, say stay. He's able to say wait. He's able to say run. He can tell you all these things. But always realize and always go into it. It's John chapter 5. What I hear, I judge. And you know my judgment is correct because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. When you lay your opinion, your will, and your biases aside, you can really hear and know the voice of God. And that's a good thing. Amen.